0: Our scripture passage today is Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him.
1: Three wise men walk into a barn.
2: <laughs> See a young couple swaddling their infant child and rocking it to sleep. The father, Joseph, rises to go and greet guests. The first wise man said, I have brought gold for the child. The second wise man says, I have brought frankincense. Well, thank you, Joseph responds, gobsmacked by the generosity of these strangers. Old cold and might come in handy to help us get some better arrangements. And I don't really know what sense is, but maybe it'll help. But, but if he looks back and he sees his wife looking pretty tired and the child really needs to get some sleep, he starts to kind of guide the strangers towards the door. And then all of a sudden, the third one stops and says, but wait, there's her. That groan is exactly what I was going for.
1: The visit of these
2: wise men, or magi, at <laughs> the text calls and is a really intriguing part of the Christmas story, right? Uh, I've not always thought that much of it myself, but reflecting on it this week gave me a newfound appreciation for it. Uh, Luke gives us so much detail about what's going on with Joseph and Mary, even their extended family. Luke emphasizes the humility and the hope of the holy family and the inclusion of common shepherds on that joyous night. Matthew goes a little bit of a different direction, right? He gives us a window into the life of King Herod and the response of kind of this aristocratic class, both in Judea and abroad now with these these three visitors. I think that Matthew also does that because of his effort to highlight the way that Jesus' life, even at birth, it resonates with, it recapitulates, it, it fulfills even the story and the hope of Israel up to this point. So we have seen in the last two weeks the genealogy of Jesus and Matthew, God's hope through Abraham and David's family line. We name drop some significant people and even some surprising people along the way. We see a Joseph who dreams just like we saw in Genesis uh, several weeks back. We see another miraculous birth story as, as uh, common throughout the Hebrew scriptures. We see a divine announcement uh, accompanying that. You see prophecies from exile finding new fulfillment here. Uh, And now we begin to see the fulfillment of this promise that Abraham's family line would be a blessing to all nations. You see these visitors from afar coming and drawing near. And in these magi, we see an interesting parallel to the story of Melchizedek in Genesis. You guys remember this story? This kind of random character comes out from nowhere, uh, this kingly, priestly here who bears both provision and help but also blessing Abraham uh, and his family here in Matthew. We see these random figures come from uh, nowhere pretty mysteriously who bear both provision and help but also blessing along the way. I think that Matthew's choice of focus in this narrative, it isn't accidental, right? He's shining spotlights on these little kind of hyperlinks to uh, things that happen in the Hebrew scriptures, and the whole salvation story that has led up to now. All that to say, it's easy for us to get caught up in questions about who exactly these magi were. Where did they come from? How many of them were there, really? We have different traditions, whether there were three or twelve or more, uh, or or less than that. What even is a magi? Are they kings or wise men, astrologers? Um, Traditions, traditions, Answer those questions in abundance and in many different ways. But I think sometimes those can kind of miss the point of the text and the inclusion here. The point that in Jesus' incarnation, God is fulfilling the promise to bless all nations. And it begins with these random foreign dignitaries who are somehow able to see what God's people themselves are unable to see. The Magi sought Jesus. Because they sought him, they found him. Verse 9 says that they followed the
1: star until it stopped over the place where the child was. Do I have that on a the slide? Thank you. They followed the star
2: until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. As we reflect on joy in this third week of Advent, I want to suggest three takeaways I think we can learn from the Magi
1: and the joy they discovered first is to look for signs so these wise men they had the privilege of honoring the Christ
2: child because they were looking for the signs the star that the magi followed was just a sign that represented what god was doing in the world it pointed the way to the savior to what extent they actually believed in israel's god is unclear we do know that the prophets of Israel had made a lasting impression. And, uh, the people of the east were paying attention to that even during the exi- exile and afterwards. By the time of the Roman Empire, the hope of a savior king from Judah had also spread into other similarly occupied groups who were looking for uh, that direction to say, maybe there will be a hope that will arise from Judah that will be meaningful for us. The Magi appear to have been captured by this sentiment. They felt compelled to search out this new king who would be born to the Jews to honor him. They may have read the stars in conjunction with a prophecy that was made known to them by the Jews in Diaspora, living in their area. In Numbers 24, 17, it says, a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. So that prophecy and alignment with their reading of the stars may have been enough for them to make that long journey west. I wonder what signs and symbols might be good enough for us to jar us out of our apathy, jar us out of our normal day-to-day life. Because God gives us signs and symbols all the time, right, to show us uh, how he is living and moving in our world today. I had a friend at uh, college who used to, every time we'd sit, down, we'd sit down for a movie, he would have us all stop and pray for God to s- say something to us through this film. I'd say, Ryan, I'm not sure that he's going to speak to Ninja Turtles but okay, we'll, we'll pray. <laughs> but every single time he would do that, and every time afterwards, he would also say, man, I really felt like God was saying this through some random part of the movie. And sometimes I would get the connection, sometimes I wouldn't, but he was looking. He was always looking, he was always listening. He was always paying attention. No matter what media thing he was consuming, he wanted to hear and see, is God doing something He's saying something, anything, here. When it comes to Christmas symbols, some people are like Herod and the chief priests and the scribes. They see symbols, but they don't really recognize the true meaning. At the time of Jesus' birth, there was this brightly shining star there for everyone to see. But only the wise men perceived its meaning and recognized its its value. That's why they rejoiced when they saw the star in the sky, because they had a sense of what it might mean. We do have some symbols that we see throughout Christmas time in this season. We have things like, uh, you know, evergreen trees that we, we do, uh, Christmas trees, and it's kind of a symbol of eternal life. Uh, Wreaths k- kind of a symbol of never-ending love of God, bells, like the uh, good news, message of joy. Gifts that we give are like the gift that Jesus gave. We have candy canes, which are like the shepherd's staff, right? Uh, stars, which are like the fulfillment of prophecy. Some of these symbols, they originated from uh, blending pagan traditions and Christian uh, truths, right? As, as new people, uh, groups came to faith, began seeing truth of their creator in the created things that they once held so dear. Some people can get really riled up about the, the history of those things, too, and they say things like, well, well Christians ought to spurn things that have anything to do with pagan stuff because, uh, you know, who, who knows what it comes to? and It might lead us to some dangerous territory. Uh, or else other people might look at some of that and say, well, it's just reason to doubt Christianity altogether. It's just stealing from other, other traditions. I'm more partial to the position of the Apostle Paul, right? Maybe you remember Acts 17 when Paul is in the Areopagus and he's referencing uh, to the crowd both their own poets and this, uh, this uh, altar to an unknown God. He's using these things as touch points in order to lead them to the truth of the gospel in this way. Reminds me also of the wise men, right? Who are follow, following something that is a random symbol. Don't think much about astrology uh, today for things, but, um, but they find it, and they, they, they are seeking God through this, and because of that, they find Jesus. I want to learn to see si- the symbols of God's salvation in everything, even something as simple as a star in the sky. That star was a mere sign of the birth of Christ, and it was there for everyone to see. But because they were able to recognize in it and rejoice in it, it led them to Jesus.
1: So, may we rejoice in the same way. And may we find joy in worship.
2: The Magi were not likely expecting to find God incarnate at the end of their journey. They may not even recognize what they found when they found Jesus. They were probably looking for a newborn earthly king to pay homage to, albeit a significant king who might bring them some great hope, hope as well. And yet it wasn't their accurate expectations that led them to joy. It wasn't their right theology even that gave them joy. It was that they had hearts ready to seek out and celebrate whatever it was that God was doing in this event. I love, in the, the passage there what it says that they saw the star. And they were overjoyed. They hadn't even yet made it to the destination, right? It was their hope and their expectation. That tells me something significant about joy. That joy isn't really even about the realization of uh, what we hope for finally coming to fruition. It isn't about our circumstances in the moment. But joy is something more enduring because it rests on a truth, even a truth we may not have seen yet. But it rests in God. That's why joy can be present in very dark places, places where you wouldn't think it could exist, and yet it still goes there. I like the image of these magi from the east coming into the house where Jesus stayed, seeing him with his mother and kneeling down to worship him. They've already gone through Herod's palace. They've seen all that he had to offer, but it's here in a carpenter's uh, home, under the light of the star, that they know they have encountered the true King. So they bow in reverence, it causes me to ask, do I worship Jesus as I should, even when I do think that I have maybe better theology than than they do? Or am I just in some of these worship things just for me? When Tim Hughes wrote the song, Here I Am to Worship, I don't know if he had a Christmas uh, theme in mind, but the song does kind of tell the Christmas story. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. The response here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. He deserves our adoration, right? He deserves our prostrate devotion. He deserves our worship. We can often come to Worship services in church buildings, looking for things like encouragement, inspiration, profound sense of life change or connection with God. And and real worship can certainly result in those things. But the problem can be when we expect that that is what ought to happen for us every time. To expect that we always must have this sense of comfort or encouragement that comes from our worship. Because when we come to worship for just ourselves, we will generally be disappointed when what we find is ourselves. In all of our Herod-like arrogance, we can be disappointed when the praise and the gifts are for someone different. Praise and the gifts are intended for Jesus. But when we come prepared to worship Jesus, the true king, the only worthy object of our worship, it's then that we truly receive ourselves as well. So let's remember to worship Jesus this Christmas. When we sing Silent Night or Away in a Manger or Joy to the World, let's remember to direct our thoughts truly to the one who was born King of the Jews, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and do what the Magi did to come and find joy in
1: worshiping. But wait, there's (laughs) myrrh.
2: As we worship him, we can follow the last example of the Magi to bring our gifts, enjoy and offering our gifts. As with all the other traditions around uh, these Magi, there's been uh, much made of the symbolism behind the gifts that are offered. Sometimes it's offered that gold is like gift fit for a king. And Jesus is the king of kings. Frankincense, gift for a priest. And the Hebrew says that Jesus is our high priest. Myrrh, like gift for a dead man, it was used as embalming fluid. Jesus came into the world to, to die for us and for our sins. In reality, the, the gifts probably served even more practical use for Jesus and his family. Shortly after the Magi left, we know that Jesus was, or Joseph was warned in a dream to take his wife and child to flee to Egypt because Herod was seeking to kill him. The gifts may have been able to help pay for their travel expenses, right? Their living expenses while they were away. Gold could easily be converted into cash. Frankincense and myrrh easily be carried on a journey and sold in the Egyptian marketplace. It's hard to know exactly what the Magi intended when they gave a gift. But there's one thing for sure. They shared their treasure
1: with Jesus because they wanted to, they planned. They intended to give something of value,
2: something that cost them. And not only that, they spent as much as two years on the journey to find them. It could be said that that in itself was part of the gift. There's a story about a a missionary school teacher in Africa who had been teaching her students about Christmas and told them how we we usually give gifts to one another at Christmas time. And a few days later, one of her students brought her a gift. It was a beautiful seashell. She asked him where he got it, and he said, I walked to the beach to pick it out for you. The school was was several miles from the ocean, so she knew that it had been a long walk for him. She said, you shouldn't have gone all that way to get me a present. And he just smiled and said, the walk was part of the gift. You may not have the treasure of some noble Eastern astrologer to give to Jesus, but you do have something just as valuable.
1: Yourself. What God wants us. What's well, our hearts. Maybe you remember the
2: beautiful stanza from the poem and song by Christina Rossetti in the bleak midwinter. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my
1: part. But what can I give him? I will give my heart. There's a reason songs like that, songs like that the little
2: drummer boy, are so stirring to us, right? Because there is joy to be found in giving just in general. But there is immense joy to be found in giving good gifts to the one who is supremely worthy. Jesus is supremely worthy. He is good and true. He is is how we know what good is. Uh, On the way in this morning, I was re-listening to um, Pastor Rich's sermon on joy from two years ago. Um, and he had a, a, a little line in there that he talked about joy as being intrusions of good
1: into a dark world. I really love that line. Intrusions of good into a dark world. When we are able to,
2: to give of what is good and generosity to things that are truly good, especially to, to God, that is like an intrusion, an injection of good into a dark world, right? Who knows what the Magi perceived in that encounter? They came to Herod's court in Jerusalem expecting to find a young prince. Instead, they find the king of kings dwelling in all humility, vulnerable, and apparently under threat, as they learn later in a dream.
1: There's this atmosphere full of hope. I love that, uh, um, that line in Hark
2: the Herald Angels Sing that we just read. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. I wonder, did they perceive the significance
1: of their encounter? Who they had just encountered? They depart just as mysteriously as they arrived. But their gift mattered. Just as all of our gifts to Jesus. Batter. this christmas let's come to jesus bearing gifts
2: uh, one tradition that my family had that we really love is uh as as it leads up to christmas at some point we will bark out some time to make birthday cards for jesus uh, we we don't just like do it haphazardly we try to like really think about how we're going to decorate these cards and what kind of nice note might we write to him the silly kind of tradition, but it's also meaningful because it gets us in mind of how
1: do I, how can I honor Him, with what I have. Let's give to Jesus in our generosity to others, so that they will
2: not do without. Jesus tells us that all that we do for the least, it's like we have done it to Him. Let's give to Jesus in our attention, slowing down so that we don't miss the call of the Holy Spirit in each moment, the signs that are all around us of his goodness. Let's give to Jesus the worship that he deserves,
1: our adoration, our affection. Perhaps even when we don't entirely know what's going on in the world.
2: It's a cliche that I often hear during this season, but I do think it's appropriate. Wise men
1: still seek him. Because when we seek him, we will find will not hide his face. It will bring us great joy. Lord, we are thankful for you. Thankful that you bid us to come, to see you, to encounter you,
2: And you are our good news for you are our source of our source of joy, our light in the darkness. And I know that we are maybe in different places this morning. Some of us uh, may be experiencing lots of joy and comfort and happiness these days with uh, um, with loved ones around. Or some of us may be a bit frazzled and busy and hectic during this season. Some of us may be lonely. Some of us may be experiencing. Intense grief and darkness, and a time where we feel like it should be comforting, but it's not.
1: Your joy goes all these places. Joy resounds. Might it be a comfort? Those who are in need. Might it be a wake-up call? Those who are distracted. May it be a a note that rings out even more celebration for us and calls us to more joy. For those of us who are already singing. In all of it, Lord, though, we pray that we might find you With all our hearts, our attention, our affection to you, as we know that you are worth. It. Pray that in your name. Amen.